Brothers and sisters, we are continuing our study in Paul's uh, second letter to the Corinthians, second inspired letter, and um, a number of Paul's epistles uh, reflect careful planning. Uh, the letter to the Romans, uh, the, book, the letter to the Ephesians, and others seem to be a pretty definite plan, but second Corinthians is, um, seems to be more spontaneous. That's one reason why it's so personal. And in the beginning here, uh, we've seen uh, Paul responding to some detractors in Corinth. He's been attacked for various reasons, uh, including his change of plans. He had planned to visit one point, then change those plans. He's defended his integrity on several grounds and uh, has explained that one reason he changed his plans was he didn't want to have another painful visit. Instead, he wrote them uh, uh, a letter that may have been painful was, was severe and sent it by Titus. And uh, there was also a situation where uh, a sinner in the congregation and commentators differ was this the man uh, who was guilty of incest in 1 Corinthians 5 or perhaps a ringleader uh, within the congregation of this sort of uh, revolt against Paul. In any event, he was a significant sinner, but he'd repented and not everybody was prepared to forgive him. And so Paul exhorts them to forgive. He says, if they don't, it will allow uh, an inroad for Satan. One of Satan's devices, he says, is to use unforgiveness to hurt the church. So he's gone through these various things here in these early, uh, early part of the letter, and now he resumes a further explanation of his travel plans and gives another uh, evidence of his love for the Corinthians. Uh, but before I read our text, um, I'd like to speak to the young people, uh, children, teenagers, and uh, you older folks feel welcome to listen in. And uh, children, I'd like to ask you a couple of questions this morning before I read our text. And the first one is this, what do you want to be when you grow up? Who do you want to marry? Where do you want to live? Who does God, what does God want you to be and do? Who does he want you to marry? Where might he want you to live? Does he even care? And if he does care, how important is it for you to discover what he wants you to be and what he wants you to do and to do it. I'm asking these questions because this morning our text, and it's a very short text, it's only two verses, but it's about knowing and doing God's will. And that's very important because it not only pleases and glorifies him, but it's always ultimately the best thing for us. If you don't think so, just ask Jonah how it worked out for him when he refused initially to do the will of God about preaching to the Ninevites. Very quickly then, yes, God does care very much about you and your life and all of its details. That's why we read Psalm 131. Every day of your life was recorded in his book before one of them came to be. He knit you together in your mother's womb. He cares very much. And since he is infinitely wise and infinitely good, his will is always good. As Paul said, his will is good 
and acceptable and perfect. And so we should always seek to know and to do his will, beginning with coming to Jesus Christ as our Lord and Savior. But again, that's where uh, doing the will of God begins. It's not where it ends. The question then is, how do we discover? How will you discover God's will for your life? Well, he's told you much of it in his word, but there's a lot that he hasn't told you. And that's what our text and sermon are about this morning. How do we discern God's will about things not revealed to us in the Bible? It's a big subject. It's an important one. So I want to encourage you, young folks, to commit yourselves to pursuing and doing the will of God. Listen closely as I read the text and see what the text says and the sermon, what it says about that. And feel free to ask me any questions that you might have afterwards. So with that uh, introduction for the young folks, uh, I'm going to ask you to stand so that we can read our text this morning in 2 Corinthians chapter 2. 2 Corinthians 2, and our text this morning is just verses 12 and 13. Furthermore, Paul says, when I came to Troas to preach Christ's gospel, a door, and a door was opened to me by the Lord, I had no rest in my spirit because I did not find Titus my brother. But taking my leave of them, I departed for Macedonia. Brothers and sisters, as brief as it is, this is the word of God. Please be seated. Bonnie and I were privileged to spend four years on the staff of the Navigators at Clemson University working with students there. And one of the highlights of every year was our conference uh, where we would go and gather with students from a number of other uh, collegiate ministries in the uh, Southeast. And uh, there were practical workshops on things such as how to memorize scripture, how to have a quiet time, uh, how to tell others about Christ. But it seemed like inevitably when it was offered, the workshop that was most popular was discovering the will of God for your life. In a sense, that's no great mystery. Then, as now, college students are at both an exciting and a daunting stage in life. They're young adults transitioning from living at home to being on their own. Uh, many of life's biggest choices are in front of them. What sort of career should I study and prepare for? What job should I take? Will I be able to find a job? Who should I marry? Small wonder then that uh, these young folks were always so eager to learn about how to discover God's will for their lives. But this should not be a concern just for adolescents and young adults. Brothers and sisters, if we claim Jesus Christ is our Lord and Savior, we follow one who said, my food is to do the will of him who sent me. I came down from heaven not to do my own will, but the will of my Father. 
And who in the most severe crisis of his life, as he sweat, as it were, great drops of blood, pleading that he might be delivered from the cross, nevertheless ended his prayer three times, not my will, but your will be done. And again, I quoted Paul earlier from Romans 12, too, where Paul says the will of God is good and acceptable and perfect. Given that fact, we ought to be eager to discover it and to do it. How about you? Not just you young people, you older people. How important is it to you this morning to know and to do the will of God? Is there a particular area in your life this morning that can apply to older people as well as younger people, a particular area, a particular problem where you are trying to discern the will of God? It seems to me, for reasons that I'll outline here, that Paul's experience briefly alluded to here, Paul's experience in Troas has some principles that can be very helpful, especially in dealing with areas that are not specifically addressed in Scripture. Areas where we may have several equally lawful alternatives to choose from. So let's dive in. I've got four points for you this morning. And the first one is this, God's servants sometimes encounter open doors. God's servants sometimes encounter open doors. Now, I'm using God's servants in the broader sense. Sometimes it's, it's quite appropriate to use it more narrowly as those who are called to a particular ministry. But there's a sense in which all of us, all of God's children, are also, in a sense, his servants. And I'm using that broader sense to apply to all of us this morning. The question comes up then, what is an open door exact, and I'd suggest it's, it's simply an opportunity of some kind. Here in our text, uh, uh, and in the whole context of the New Testament, uh, an open door typically refers to a promising ministry opportunity. Paul refers to that here uh, in our text. When I came to Troas to preach Christ's gospel, and a door was opened to me by the Lord. Colossians 4.3, he asked the Colossians, pray for us that God may open to us a door for the word to declare the mystery of Christ. Pray for opportunities to do that. Back in 1 Corinthians 16.8, he says, I will stay in Ephesus until Pentecost for a wide door for effective work has opened to me. And he says, there are many adversaries. It's interesting that he says that an open door doesn't mean a lack of adversaries or problems necessarily. He says there's a wide door for effective service and many adversaries. But the point is, he's speaking here about ministry opportunities. But I would say in our context, it's, a, it's, it's an opportunity for ministry, perhaps with other kinds of opportunities, professional, you know, uh, whatever. And Paul tells the Corinthians here that the Lord has done the same thing for him in the city of Troas. When I came to Troas to preach Christ's gospel, a door was opened to me by the Lord. Now, Troas was a city uh, in modern-day Turkey. Then it was the Roman province of Asia. It's right on the coast of the Dardanelles or the Hellespont. It's uh, north of Ephesus and south of Troy, south of the ancient city of Troy. And it was a common place to travel across from Asia to Europe. And uh, 
we read in, in Acts 16 that it was there in that city that Paul received the vision from the man of Macedonia, the man of northern Greece, saying, come over and minister to us. And uh, Luke writing says, we concluded, when Paul received this vision, we concluded God had called us. And so they all went, and uh, that was his second missionary journey where he planted uh, the church and the gospel in Europe. And apparently on his third journey, it seems like he may have uh, planted a church there. And it seems like perhaps in the difficult times that Paul alluded to in 1, 8, and 9, we don't want you to be ignorant of our trouble that came to us in Asia, that we were burdened beyond measure, above strength, so that we despaired even of life. Yes, we had the sentence of death in ourselves. It seemed like perhaps as a result of, of these events, if he's referring to events in Ephesus, Paul concluded that the door was closed and he left Ephesus and went to Troas. Speaking of open doors... As I was reflecting on this, I thought, you brothers and sisters are an open door, at least for Bonnie and me. When I first preached here back in 2021, I preached one sermon as part of my work on a doctor of ministry degree, uh, never thinking that I'd necessarily preach again. And within a couple of weeks, uh, when Joel Wood was unexpectedly retained in, in California, I asked to preach a couple more times. And then you've been kind enough, gracious enough, long-suffering enough that I preached here a lot in the last several years. A wonderful open door, for us anyway. And as a result of you and your contact with the folks in LARP, there was another open door there. So, you know, the Lord sometimes, often, opens doors for his children and servants. Bottom line, brothers and sisters, God Almighty has a plan. He has a great plan. In Ephesians 1, Paul says, speaks of God making known to us the mystery of his will according to his purpose which he set forth in Christ as a plan for the fullness of time to unite all things in heaven and on earth. In him, we've been predestined according to the purpose of him who works all things According to the counsel of his will, God Almighty has a plan, a great plan, a good plan, a wise plan, a perfect, all-inclusive plan. God's plan included Paul and his ministry. And actually, it included not just open but closed doors. If you read Acts chapter 16, uh, verses 6 and 7... Paul twice wanted to preach in various parts of Asia and says the Spirit would not allow him to preach there. That's why he finally wound up in Troas. God closed some doors and then he opens others. And brothers and sisters, God's plan includes you. Psalm 30, 15, my times, your times are in his hand. That's why we read Psalm 139, particularly I wanted us to read those verses. All the days of my life were written in your book before one of them came to be. God, before the foundation of the world, purpose that you'd be worshiping here February 11, 2024. He's numbered all the hairs of your head, not just your days, your hours, your minutes. Or in his plan.
And again, the Lord apparently used, if we're inferring correctly, this terrible experience at the conclusion of his ministry in Ephesus to close that door, not just to humble him, not just to teach him, as he says here, I've, I've learned to, to experience his sufficiency more than I had before his strength in camping on my weakness, but also to lead and to guide him. Closed doors can guide us just like open doors can. Remember what Joseph said, and some of us are reading right now in the book of Genesis as part of our Bible reading plan here in, uh, in February, where Joseph says to his brothers, you meant it for evil when you sold me into slavery, but God meant it for good to preserve many people alive. Jeremiah 29, 11, I know the plans I have for you, says the Lord to his people, plans for welfare and not for evil. All things work together for good to those who love the Lord and are called according to his purpose. Now, the Lord does not reveal all the details of his plans for us at one sitting. My uh, dear uh, mother-in-law, who's been in glory uh, a decade now, uh, in a few months, used to say, "'Tis a wise providence that veils the future." And it is. If the Lord were to show us early on some of the things we might have to, to deal with, uh, we might be horrified and want to bail out. The Lord shows it to us gradually. We are in a walk of faith where we walk with the Lord day by day, and we have to trust him to lead us, but he's promised to do that. He has promised to lead us. We're going to sing uh, in just a few minutes the latter part of, of Psalm 32, 8. I will instruct you and teach you the way you should go. I will counsel you with my eye upon you. Proverbs 3, 5, and 6. Trust in the Lord with all your heart. Don't lean on your own understanding. In all your ways acknowledge him and he will direct your paths or he will make them straight. Isaiah 48, 17, I am the Lord your God who teaches you to profit, who leads you in the way that you should go. James 1, 5, if any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask of God who gives to all men generously without reproach, and it will be given if he asks in faith. So Paul illustrates for us here the wonderful reality that God has a plan for his people, and that plan sometimes includes open doors, or opportunities for dramatic success. That's not all it teaches us. That brings us to our second point this morning. It does not follow, however, that God's servants should always walk through every open door. It's true that God gives his people open doors, but the text teaches us it doesn't follow from that fact that God's servants should always Walk through every open door. In this case, Paul did not. At least not for very long. He may have stayed and ministered briefly at Troas, but clearly he didn't stay for any length of time. When I came to Troas to preach Christ's gospel and a door was opened to me by the Lord, I had no rest in my spirit and taking my leave of them, I departed from Macedonia. So if Paul used that open door, apparently it wasn't for very long. That's why I had us read that passage in Mark 1 about our Lord Jesus, the beginning of his ministry, when he heals Peter's, uh, Peter's mother 
And the word gets out about that healing. And a little bit later, there's a knock at the door. And it says the whole city's gathered with all the sick people, the demon-possessed people. And he heals them. Early the next morning, before it's even light, our Savior goes out to spend some time in prayer. And Peter and the other disciples are looking for They find him and say, Lord, everybody's looking for you. There's an open door. There's lots of people who would like to have you heal some that didn't get healed before. Listen to your teaching. An open door. What did Jesus say? What did he do? No, I've got to go on. I'm to preach the gospel. And he goes on and continues to preach in other places. He didn't go through that open door. Now I want to be careful and clear, brothers and sisters. I'm not saying that open doors are never an indication of the Lord's will and that we should never walk through them. I think they often are an indication of his will and that we often should go through them joyfully, gratefully. But I am saying it's not always and inevitably the case. In this case, at least, Paul did not. And there could conceivably be some cases where you might have an open door, but it wouldn't automatically necessarily be the Lord's will for you to walk through it. But how do you know? And that's the question that brings us to our next point. Our third point this morning is there may also be times when despite an open door, God's servants have restless spirits. There can also be a time when despite open doors, circumstances that might lead you to infer providentially this must be the Lord's will, but there can be a restlessness of spirit as there was here for Paul. A door was opened for me by the Lord, but I had no rest in my spirit. And that could be translated no relief. F.F. Bruce says, I could not feel settled in my mind. J.B. Phillips, I was on edge the whole time. It wasn't just a vague, inexplicable uneasiness. Paul had a very specific reason for it. I did not find Titus my brother. Now, Titus was Paul's spiritual son in in the letter, uh, the epistle of Titus. He says to Titus, my true child in a common faith. We don't know exactly when or how, But apparently, uh, it seems obvious that at some point in his ministry among the Gentiles, uh, Paul had been instrumental in leading Titus to Christ. He was a spiritual son, but not only a spiritual son, he was a trusted member of his ministry team. Uh, The letter uh, of Titus is a letter that Paul wrote because he and Titus had apparently gone to the island of Crete and they had preached the gospel. A number, lots of people had responded. So there are Christian communities in various places. Paul had, had left, but he left Titus there to organize the churches in Crete and gave him instruction about the qualifications of elders and other things. And it was a challenging place because the Cretan culture was characterized by dishonesty and sin, all kinds of things. But Paul trusted Titus to handle that. And he had trusted Titus to take this difficult letter to Corinth and to not only just carry the letter, but to be involved in ministry to the people there. 
And he says, not having found him in Troas, his spirit could not find rest. And I think more specifically, Paul was concerned not just or so much about Titus as about the people of Corinth. Later here in 2 Corinthians 7, Paul is going to talk about this. This is 2 Corinthians 7, 5. When we came to Macedonia, our bodies had no rest. We were afflicted at every turn, fighting without, fear within. But God, who comforts the downcast, comforted us by the coming of Titus. He went from Troas to northern Greece and Macedonia, and there Titus came, and they met. And that comforted Paul. And not only by his coming, but also by the comfort with which he was comforted by you. As he told us of your longing, your mourning, your zeal for me, so that I rejoiced still more. Therefore we are comforted, and besides our own comfort, we rejoice still more at the joy of Titus, because his spirit had been refreshed by you all. The Lord had blessed uh, Paul's letter and Titus' ministry, and there had been a very significant repentance among the Corinthians. But I think the point here is while Paul obviously was concerned that he didn't meet Titus, I think his greater concern was what about the Corinthians? What's happened? In chapter 11, 28, Paul writing about his apostolic sufferings, his credentials as an apostle included the sufferings. And he says in verse 28, apart from other things, there's the daily pressure on me of my anxiety for all the churches. He's written to the Galatians in Galatians 4.19, My little children with whom I am again in the anguish of childbirth till Christ be formed in you. And so I think what Paul is suffering from here, the reason his heart could find no peace, he's got a severe case of pastoral and parental anxiety. What's happened to these, my spiritual children in Corinth? I'm counting on Titus to let me know. So Paul had some definite reasons why he concluded that despite God's open door, it would be best for him to leave Troas. Now, I think we have to be careful here not to draw uh, unwarranted conclusions that we can and should expect frequent uh, mystical revelations from the Lord. Paul had some very definite reasons why he thought he should leave and not continue to to use that open door. It says in Matthew 4.1, Jesus was led by the Spirit into the wilderness. The Spirit led our Lord Jesus into the wilderness to be tempted 40 days by Satan. But it's interesting, when that language is used about believers in the New Testament, twice, Romans 8.14 and Galatians 5.18 speaks of our being led by the Spirit. It does not refer to supernatural guidance in tricky places, it refers to uh, our enablement to pursue holiness, to put to death our old sinful nature and habits. So again, um, I want to be careful here that we don't have expectations of some, uh, not that it can't happen at times, but that we, I don't think Paul is talking about some supernatural revelation. The fact is, I think he was planning to meet Titus there. Titus wasn't there, and he was anxious to find out not so much about Titus, but about the Corinthians. And, and because he, he wasn't there, his soul was not at rest, and he didn't pursue the open door. He went on. And I want to think, brothers and sisters, what is required 
to discern the will of God accurately. As you think about discerning God's will for your life, what does it require? I think I've got eight things here that I'm going to suggest very briefly. The first is this, a submission and commitment to do God's will, however painful and difficult it may be. Jesus said, if any man is willing to do his will, he will know the teaching, whether it's from God or whether I speak from myself. And so I think a, a, a willingness, an openness to do the will of God is a very important part of that. The Christ, basic Christian confession is Jesus is Lord. If you confess with your mouth, Jesus is Lord, and believe in your hearts that God raised him from the dead, you'll be saved. Now Paul says in 1 Corinthians 12, no man speaking by the Spirit can curse Jesus, and no one can say Jesus is Lord except by the Holy Spirit. There's a sense in which that's not quite true. You could probably train a parrot to say the sounds, Jesus is Lord. But in terms of what that confession really means, no one can say it except by the grace and power of the Holy Spirit. But think what it means. Jesus is not only my Savior, but he's my supreme Lord and ruler. I'm committed to do his will. That's the basic Christian confession. We're called in light of the mercies of God to present ourselves, our bodies, as living sacrifices to him. Paul said in Acts 20, I don't account my life at any account as precious to myself. If only I may finish my course in the ministry I receive from the Lord Jesus to testify the gospel of the grace of God. So, a commitment. Lord, I'm really serious. I want to know your will because I want to do it. Secondly, a mind renewed by the word and the spirit. Don't be conformed to this world, says Paul, but be transformed by the renewal of your minds. Our conformity to the world is not first and foremost outward. It's not so much a matter of the clothes we wear, the music we listen to, the places we go and all that. Now, that's, that can be part of it. But Paul says we get conformed to the world in our thinking, in our minds. And that's why we do these other things. But he says we're to be transformed, can and should be transformed by the renewal of our minds. And the word and the spirit can do that. Helping us to think more and more like God thinks biblically. So a mind... Renewed by the Spirit and the Word. A knowledge of God's revealed will and a habit of doing it. Deuteronomy 29, 29 says, The secret things belong to the Lord our God. There are a lot of secret things, brothers and sisters, that we don't know. There's a lot about His plan for you that are secret things that belong to Him. But the second part of that verse says, But the things that are revealed belong to us and our children, that we may keep these commandments. The things that God has clearly revealed in his word, we are then to be committed to knowing and obeying. So, thirdly, a knowledge of God's revealed will and a habit of doing it, getting in the habit. Like well-disciplined children, when mom or dad say, do this, and you do it. Or stop, and you stop. That's how we're to be with our Heavenly Father. When he tells us to do something, we should be in the habit of doing it, obeying right away. 
a knowledge of the shepherd who leads and guides his people in paths of righteousness. Jesus said, my sheep hear my voice. Now we hear it in his word. But again, the spirit may speak another, but ears that are attuned to hearing his voice in the word. Fifthly, a diligent seeking of his guidance through prayer. And again, here we're not talking about the things that God's clearly revealed. If you're wondering whether or not you should steal or commit adultery or kill something, you don't need to wonder. God's made it very clear. And there are many other things that are quite clear in Scripture, but what we're talking about here is those things that are not specified, like what Paul's thinking, what should I do in this situation? And so earnestly praying, Lord, you've promised, you'll instruct me and teach me the way I should go. You'll counsel me with your eye upon me. Show me what I should do. I've got two options, maybe more than two, three or four options. Guide me as you've promised to do. Six, some practice and experience in discerning God's will. It's interesting, the writer of the Hebrews rebukes these Jewish believers. He says, by now you people should be teachers. You've been believers so long, you've had lots of advantages as Jewish Christians. You should be teachers, but you're babies. You still need baby food, milk and bread, not meat for strong people. And he says, the mature for those who have their powers of discernment trained by constant practice to distinguish good from evil. That's Hebrews 5.14. Who have uh, their powers of discernment trained by constant practice to distinguish good from evil. A good musician can listen if you strum a guitar or, or uh, do the, the, the strings violin. They can tell you. There's a note, there's a string that's off key here and probably very quickly know which string it is and which way to turn it to get in tune. By practice, their ears are tuned and we can and should be growing as we seek the Lord and experience his direction. Seven, not wise in our own eyes. Maybe I should have put that higher. Not wise in our own eyes, but willing to seek and take godly advice, including reproof. Not wise in our own eyes, but willing to seek and take godly advice, including reproof. The Proverbs say in a multitude of counselors, it mentions three different things we get in a multitude of counselors. Safety, victory, wisdom. Proverbs 26, 12, do you see a man who's wise in his own eyes? He thinks, I don't need anybody to tell me anything. I already know everything I need to know. Proverbs 26, 12 says, you see a man who's wise in his own eyes? There's more hope for a fool than for him. Romans 12, 16, Paul says, never be wise in your own eyes. There's never a time when it's a good thing. To be wise in your own eyes and to think that you know it all and that you can't benefit from the input of other people, especially wise and godly people who, if nothing else, can be objective, more objective than you can be about your situation. 
Not only that, they may have a lot more experience. They may have some specialized knowledge. They may have a knowledge of, of Scripture that, that can inform it. And so that's another part of seeking uh, the, the will of God in, in these things, of seeking godly counsel. And then finally, the eighth thing, a willingness to wait and trust God for his leading. Waiting can be one of the hardest things to do in the Christian life. Especially when we're under stress, we really want to make a decision and go with it. But there are times when the Lord wants us simply to wait. Wait for the Lord. Be strong and of good courage. Yea, wait for the Lord. So let me ask you this morning, brothers and sisters, how experienced are you in discerning and doing the will of God? As it's revealed in scripture, the things that are clear. To what extent are you seeking to be obedient to the things that God has clearly told you in his word? And to what extent are you reading and studying that word so that you understand what he's already told you about his will? If you're not willing to do what he's already told you, why should he tell you things that aren't in there? Are you habitually... Seeking to be obedient to what he's revealed. And again, brothers and sisters, don't misunderstand me. This is not the way we get saved. We get saved by repentance and faith in the finished work of Jesus Christ. It's an absolutely free gift. But that's the beginning. It's not the end. We're to bear fruit in keeping with repentance. Bear fruit evidencing our faith, the Spirit's power and presence in our lives. And that, that means... Seeking to live in ways that please and honor the Lord and minister other people doing his will. So to what extent does that apply to you? Husbands, as you live with your wives. Wives, as you live with your husbands. Parents, as you live with your children. Children. As you live with your parents, to what extent are you seeking to honor them and obey them? The Lord has told you. That's a big part of his will for you right now. Again, there's other areas the Lord speaks to clearly. Uh, church membership, employees, citizens, a variety of things. To the extent that we already know from Scripture what God's will is, are we seeking habitually to do that? Now, it doesn't mean that it's not sometimes painful. John the Baptist was in the center of the will of God when that wicked woman, Herodias, tricked her husband into having executed. Stephen was in the center of God's will when Paul and the rest of the mob fell upon him and took him out and stoned him to death. Jesus, our blessed Savior, was in the center of God's will when he was arrested spat upon, mocked, scourged, crucified. So doing God's will is not necessarily uh, the, uh, the guarantee uh, that even though it's ultimately good, acceptable, perfect, that in every situation it's not going to be difficult and painful. It may be. But we're still called to do it. How well do you know your shepherd and guide? Do you know his voice? Jesus said, my sheep hear my voice. And we hear it first and foremost in scripture. But as we learn to hear it there with the Spirit's help, we can perhaps uh, be sensitive in some other areas at times as well. 
Are you growing in your knowledge of him in the renewal of your mind by his word? If you have specific areas that you're thinking and praying about, are you, or thinking about, are you praying? Getting others to pray. Look, I've got a decision to make at work. We pray for one sister who's facing some struggles at work, another who's got a job interview, especially if you've got maybe to make some decisions or got several options. Pray for the Lord to help me know what I should do. Claiming the relevant promises, that's, one, that's very important, brothers and sisters. Claim the promises we've got of God's guidance and direction. Seeking and taking godly counsel. Other people, maybe older people, some of us, there are not that many people older than we are that we can ask, but uh, other people, again, they can be more objective. They may have some specialized knowledge. They may uh, know the Lord and his word much better. That's one way that God gives us direction and trusting, waiting on him. So the question then becomes, what should God's servants do when despite an open door, their spirits are restless? They've got an open door, but there is something that just they don't have peace. And that's our final point. In such times of soul restlessness, God's servants may be wise to ignore the open door and, quote, go on to Macedonia. That's what Paul did here. He had this open door, but his spirit was so troubled. And I think there was over time as he prayed and thought, he continued not to have peace. And so he went on to Macedonia. And again, that was apparently the logical thing for him to do at this point. The, the Via Ignatia uh, was a, a major Roman road that, that ran uh, across Asia, uh, Europe, and it went through Macedonia and it went through Troas. And I think Paul, when he sent Titus to Corinth, had probably arranged, okay, here's the plan. Uh, at such and such a time, we'll meet at Troas. And then Titus wasn't there. And Paul was so burdened about it that he said, I'm going to go on along the Via Ignatia. If Titus is coming, I'll take that route and we soon uh, should intersect with each other. And apparently that's what happened. And he apparently found more peace about leaving that open door behind and going to try to meet Titus than he'd had about staying, and so he did. Colossians 3.15, let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts. And apparently Paul had more peace about that. Should I propose to her? Should I accept his proposal? Where should I go to school? Should I go to school? What should I major in? Should I buy this house? Should I sell my house? Should I have this surgery? When should I retire? All kinds of questions, brothers and sisters, where there's not necessarily, now again, scripture may speak to all of these things to some extent, but it doesn't give you a very specific, with your name on it, so there's a need for discernment about these and many other kinds of specific things. But the Lord has promised to guide his people as they seek his guidance. 
And so let me encourage you. Pray for open doors. I think that's fine. Lord, Paul did that. He asked other people, pray for an open door. And that can be not just for ministry in the narrow sense, but in the broader sense. And then aspire to be like Paul. And like our Lord Jesus. Committed to do the Lord's will at any cost. Demonstrating that willingness by being obedient to the things that he's already clearly revealed to us about his will and his word. Growing in our experience of walking closely with him so that we can hear his voice as he guides us. Experience in knowing his peace as a result of prayer. Philippians 4, 6, and 7. We cast our anxieties on him. Pray about everything with thanksgiving. And the supernatural peace of God that passes all understanding will guard your hearts and minds in Christ. Meditating on the truth about God. You keep him in perfect peace whose mind is stayed upon you because he trusts in you. As we really think about the character of God revealed in his word and revealed in the person work of Christ, why wouldn't we trust him? So, let me just review our four points for you quickly. God's servants sometimes encounter open doors and closed ones. We focus more on open doors, but closed doors are a way of guidance too. It doesn't follow, however, that God's servant should always walk through every open door. Thirdly, there may also be times when, despite an open door, God's servants have restless spirits. And again, I think this was a deep, a deep sense on Paul's part of not having peace about continuing where he was, doing what he was. And in such times, God's servants may be wise to ignore the open door and go on to Macedonia. December 7, 1941, was a Sunday. And Dr. Peter Marshall The pastor of New York Avenue Presbyterian Church in Washington, D.C. had been invited to come over and preach at the chapel of the United States Naval Academy in Annapolis. Dr. Marshall had prepared a sermon, but as he was driving over to Annapolis, the Lord burdened him more and more that instead of the sermon he'd prepared, he should preach on the words from Amos 4.12, prepare to meet your God. So Peter Marshall preached that sermon to thousands of midshipmen there in the chapel. And as soon as he pronounced the benediction, the academy's officer of the day started from the back, marched up that long aisle to the front, got to the front of the chapel, did an about face and said, gentlemen, the Japanese have attacked Pearl Harbor. We're at war. And Peter Marshall knew then why the Lord had led him to make that change. Now, as dramatic as these kinds of things are, they're the exception, not the norm. That wasn't the norm for Peter Marshall. I don't think it was the norm for the Apostle Paul. 
But as you and I focus on walking closely with him and seeking to be faithful in doing what he's clearly revealed to us of his will about his plan for our lives, we can be confident that in those things that are not as clearly revealed, as we seek him in sincere faith, he'll fulfill his promises to guide us and show us what to do. Trust in the Lord with all your heart. Don't lean upon your own understanding. In all your ways, acknowledge him, and he will direct your paths. We're going to sing in just a minute. I will instruct you and teach you the way to go. I will counsel you with my eye upon you. Hallelujah. Amen. Please stand for prayer.